taught on readiness, and I hope that we're taking them to heart and getting ourselves ready and living ready and not being slack. It's hot. It's summertime. Boy, it was a hot day today. Sometimes you need to slack off and rest your body. But spiritually, we shouldn't slack off. We should stay sharp. And these parables are about readiness, and we looked at the Olivet Discourse and all of what Jesus had to say about the signs of his coming. I encourage you, if you didn't hear those, to get them online and get them in your spirit. But I'm going to pick up in verse 31, and I'm going to read to the end here, and hopefully we're going to get through this tonight. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And that's where we stopped last week. If you didn't hear that message there again, get it in your spirit. It's so important. Verse 35 is our new material and down to the end uh, to verse 46. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say also to the one who was on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then I will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So sobering text here. The words that come out of Jesus' mouth are often jarring. And these should be jarring to us as we need to unwind all of what's here. But we talked last week about the sheep and the goats and the separation. And remember we said Jesus has a separating or a divisive nature. He cuts to the bone. He separates uh, father and son, mother and daughter. Why? Because Christ is polarizing. If you believe in him, your whole life will fall in line with who he is and your whole life will change. If you don't believe in him, you'll do what the world is doing, going down the stream of life that ends in a Christless eternity. And those two groups have a lot of friction, the believer and the unbeliever. Like water and oil, they don't mix. And Jesus divides, and he divides the sheep from the goats. And we talked about sheep and goats last time. 
But Jesus now speaks to both of the groups and he pours out a list of six things that can only be described as good works of service. And, uh, you know, we know about works and that they don't save us, but at the same time, they prove that we're saved. And these works of service actually will distinguish between the two groups, the sheep and the goats. We should not think for even a moment that it's works that save us. Because when you hear this list that I'm about to go through, you're going to like, man, I got to start doing some prison ministry. I got to start looking for some naked people. I got to start feeding who's ever hung. No, and, and, and all of a sudden we can get caught up in works. And it's like, uh, I'm slacking off. I'm not hitting all of these marks. And it's not about works. And we've got to know that. And we've got to keep the focus here. Uh, on what Jesus is saying, works do not save us, but they serve as the proof that we are saved. Amen. He says six things, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, take in the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and visit those in prison. We're going to take a thumbnail look at, kind of a, a quick look at each one of those to understand what the implications are. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. How many remember all the people who feed you? If you're Italian, you know who they are. That's why they love their mamas. Because she fed us, you know. And here's this thing where I was hungry. When you're hungry and you need food and someone gives you food, the righteous are expected to feed the hungry. Now, this has physical implications, but obviously the spiritual implication is even bigger. Oh, well, I, you know, we have a soup kitchen and we hand out bagels and we do this and we do that and we give out pizza. That's wonderful. But if we don't give out the gospel, then we're not feeding the hungriness of people's souls. People who are fat and healthy are starving inside spiritually. You know, out of all these we're going to look at, I really make the spiritual implications of this one the first. The church's first job is not to have soup kitchens and pass out this and do that. We do that, but our first job is to feed the spiritual hunger of a dying world. So having said that, yes, then we do need to feed people who are physically hungry. How many understand when your basic needs aren't met, it's hard to hear the gospel? If you're starving, if, you're, if you haven't eaten in days and it's like, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. I want you to buy me a hamburger and then I'll listen to you. I want you to give me a sandwich. And then, I mean, that physical need is a big distraction. Yes, so we've got to do both and we, we, we have to put them in priority. Um, our world uh, has a lot of hungry people in it. There's a lot of people tonight who will go to bed with empty bellies. Sadly, children will go to bed tonight hungry. Now, you say, well, that's a shame, but here's the bigger shame. The shame is our world is fruitful and productive. God made it that way. The earth is enabled to produce food for all the life that God put on it. Oh, no, there's not enough to go around. Bill Gates said we got to eat bugs, and we, you know. God sustains life on earth. God put enough food on the planet to feed everyone here. And some of us don't get this, and we think, oh, there's just not enough to ground. There's a few bread baskets throughout the world. One in the Midwest of the United States, the Midwest of Canada, can feed the entire world. There's wheat in Russia. The Ukraine is a bread basket that can feed all of Europe. 
Yet because of selfishness and mismanagement and the, and the curse of poverty, people don't get fed. And they look up in heaven and say, well, why does God let people starve? Because of the mismanagement of the resources that we've been given because the earth can sustain all the life on it. Do you know there are governments that pay their farmers not to plant their fields? We do that. Yep. And then there's people who are starving to death. So there's a lot of things we could dig into here, but realize the earth is capable of feeding the inhabitants of the earth. And the selfishness and the curse of poverty and the sinfulness of man brings uh, these situations to come to pass where people are hungry. Now, we the church should feed the hungry. Amen? Amen. Oh, no, they got food stamps, government program. They got this, they got that. It's the church's job to feed the hungry. Now, I know in our nation, the way things are set up right now, the way they tax us and the way the programs are implemented, it's almost like the church couldn't even uh, do the job now, but we've got to do what we can do. And when we do that, we please the Lord because he said, I was hungry and you gave me food. The greatest thing you could do for someone is meet their physical needs and then meet their spiritual needs. Fill their bellies and then have their hearts filled with the spirit of God as they come to salvation. Number two, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. You know, the first two that were in here, these are not luxury items. These are basic daily necessities. How many had a drink today? I mean, water. Yeah. You hit the bar on the way here, right? That's why you're so happy in the front row. No, all of us had something to drink today. All of us had food today, probably on several occasions. And we're going to have more when we get home. Some of you won't make it past the diner over there on the way. But these are basic needs. We talked about food. Now let's talk about drinks. Certainly, you know, the human body can go for a long, long time without food. Jesus fasted 40 days. You can go a long time without food, but you can only go about three days without water and you're in trouble. Four days and you're dead. So while food is a basic necessity and it's a need, water is even a greater need. The human body will die without water in just a little over three days. Now, water is a great need and to be thirsty, if you've ever been thirsty before, really thirsty, not had water for an extended period of time, you know that's a desperate situation. I've seen people drink out of mud puddles that were, you know, didn't have water, they lost somewhere or something. It's amazing what you'll do. I don't want to get graphic, but people drink all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't normally drink just to sustain life. So without water, we're in a desperate life or death situation. And we, there again, have to bring the water of the gospel to the lost. And we also need to Make sure people have the basic necessities of life. You know, and you think, well, who in this world doesn't have water? Not too long ago, we had the privilege of building a water tower in the Gambia for the people there because it's hard in some of these countries for them to get clean water. Do you know when we went to Guatemala, the the children in the summertime, in the heat of the summer, were always sick because their lakes were so shallow, the water had bacteria. They didn't have clean water. We are so spoiled. We turn the faucet on. We let it run to 40 minutes till it gets cold. And then we, wow. 
Water is an important thing. What an awesome privilege it was for us to sow into the Gambia and build that bow hole where they're using it right now today. They're being blessed by it to fulfill what Jesus said here. So don't think that there's not opportunities to provide basic needs because they're there. And for the church that is looking to please the Lord, you're going to get these opportunities to bring food and drink to the hungry and the thirsty. Uh, we have to give drink to the thirsty. We have to bring the water of the gospel to this thirsty world. Yeah. In America, we've got water everywhere. It comes out of your tap. We've got bottles of water. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we didn't have bottled water. Who, who, who was in the prehistoric era? Yeah, we drank out of the hose. That's why, that's why our immune system is so good. But we've got water everywhere here, yet there are a lot of spiritually thirsty people. Some of your neighbors are dying of thirst. Some of your coworkers are dying of thirst. Some of your family members are dying of thirst. Let's bring water to the thirsty. He says, I was a stranger and you took me in. Now, come on, Jesus. Food and water we get, that's good. We can give it to them. It's a need. They'll be happy. But a stranger, now, now this is a hard one because we've got to take strangers into our home. I was a stranger and you took me in. How many get excited about taking strange people into your home? Everybody's saying, no way, Jose. You know, you bring, hey, honey, look what I found on the side of the road. Boy, they're going to be a conversation later on that night. Take a stranger, and this is a tough one, Jesus, bringing unknown people, strange people into our homes. That's borderline crazy for the world we live in today. This is really a call to compassionate hospitality. Hey, Christian, guess what? You're supposed to be hospitable. I had a friend that lived in New York all his life, and he moved uh, to a different state, and he moved down south somewhere. And I said, what, what, what do you feel when you come back to New York? And, and without even thinking for a second, he said, hostility. People are angry. People are cutting you off. People are, you know, short with you. They're nasty. And where we are now, it's not like that. We all stop at the stop sign and you go. No, you go. No, you go. You never see that in Manhattan. You never see that too much in New York. And so, you know, there's this attitude of, you know, strange people and we keep them at arm's length. And, you know, I understand if you were born in the city, you know, you, you have to be a little bit street smart or they'll steal the hubcaps off your car while it's moving. You know, you know if you've never, you never been down there, you know, you, you got you to gotta be a little sharp. Some of you wouldn't make it. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking at you now. And Jesus is saying, but, you know, you need to be hospitable. You need to be compassionate to someone who's in trouble, to someone who has no place to sleep, to somebody who, who has nowhere to go. And you need to be willing to take them in. That's hospitality. That's being hospitable. And it's not about being hostile. We've got to be smart, we've got to be wise, but we need to be looking for opportunities to show compassion to our fellow man. Now, our Western culture has become less and less hospitable. You know, we are closed off, and now a lot of people, they live behind gates. They live in gated communities. I live in Dover on a dirt road, and there's people with gates in front of their house. I'm like, really? 
You know, and I've lived on my road for 15 years, and some of the neighbors haven't even come outside their gate. I don't know them. They're cloistered. They're closed off. They're shut in. They're, they're gated. And, and it's part of our culture, even in the country. There used to be a time where everybody knew their neighbors, where you could, you know, knock on a door. You could say hello. You could sit on a porch together. We've become less and less hospitable, you know, to the point where, you know, when we were kids, there, there are some comedians that had talked about this. When we were kids, people, family, friends could just drop by if they were in the neighborhood. Anybody remember that? And I remember at home, when it, whenever we dropped by, so, so they'd pull out food, was everywhere, and the coffee was on, and we'd laugh, and the kids would run around, the adults would talk. Now, if you show up at somebody's house now, they turn off all the lights, they like, shh, don't make any noise. We've been clo- come closed off. And as Christians, we've got to be careful not to lose that sense of hospitality because the New Testament commands us to be hospitable. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 9, and 10. Be hospitable. Oh, we're off to a good start. You don't even need to do a Greek word study right there. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. When they leave, I can't believe they stopped by. They ate us out of house and home. Without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Wow. Listen to Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Listen to Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Wow. You could, you could have gave a sandwich, a, a water, a smile, a hug to an angel. Oh, that's just my relative knocking on the door. Shh, we're going to not let them in. But, you know, the, the, the scripture is really clear that we're to practice hospitality. So if you're cloistered and, you know, you're secretive and you're gated, stop it. We've got to reverse the culture. We should be practicing hospitality, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially to the lost who are in need. If you help someone in their moment of need, they will listen to you tell them about the Jesus that motivated you to do it. Number four, I was naked and you clothed me. You know, thank God in our country... We have so many clothes. We send clothes everywhere. There are, there are countries where they don't have clothes. You know, it's like, you know when they have like the Super Bowl and they print up the shirts before the game and the losing team, it says, you know, uh, New York Giants champions, but they lost. Well, those all get sent to other countries and people who don't know what football is are wearing those shirts. You ever seen that? You guys are shot. Yeah, that, that's what happens. Our clothes, we send clothes everywhere. We don't think about clothing the naked. There again, the spiritual implications are there. Someone who's spiritually uncovered because they're lost in their sins and they don't have Christ and we get that. We need to bring the gospel to them. But, you know, some of us need to just practice compassion and share out of the abundance of what we have. How selfish would it be for us to have a walk-in closet full of clothes and not care about other people that don't have any? 
How selfish would it be to have a warm winter jacket in the style for every occasion and see someone at a bus stop with none and not share what we have? The Bible teaches us out of our abundance that we are obligated to share out of our abundance, especially with the saints. Now, there again, in the Western culture, this sharing idea, we don't do it. No, this is mine, this is mine, that's mine, don't touch my stuff. I know Christians that have stuff that, you know, I share whatever I have. If I get something, I'm blessed with it, I share it with everybody. I know Christians that, well, I'm not letting you borrow that. No, I don't let people borrow stuff. And I understand, you know, because people break it and they don't, I understand. But then again, I don't understand. Because when we're blessed, we need to share our blessings. This, it's mine, and you get your own, and everybody get their own mower and weed whacker, and we're not sharing, and keep your dog off my lawn. Do you see how some of this is, some of our culture is just counterintuitive to the gospel? We need to share with each other. We shouldn't see our brothers and sisters lacking, you know, winter clothes or, or, or whatever, you know, necessity that they have. Out of our abundance, we should share with them. Luke 3, 10 through 11, John the Baptist gave uh, this counsel to those who were repenting and being baptized. John was a forerunner. He came to repent people for the baptism of the forgiveness of sin. He's baptizing all these people, making a big stir in the land. And he says this in Luke 3, 10 through 11. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what are we to do? And he would answer and say to them, the one who has two coats is to share with the one who has none, and the one who has food is to do likewise. They were getting baptized and basically saved, renewed, and they were saying, what should we do? Basically, we we're saying to John, how should we live? How should we act now? We've repented of our culture that's, you know, the opposite of Scripture, what should we do? And basically he says, share, be compassionate. If you have two and you see your brother, give him one. Yes, yes. Now don't show up with all your coats next week. <laughs> but we do have clothing drives here and we do help people. The food pantry has all kinds of clothing. And I see people pick through the racks and, you know, thank God, take the stuff and use it. That's a blessing. That's what the church is supposed to do. Amen. But we practice hospitality. We're hospitable. We open up our homes. We clothe people. When we have abundance and excess, we share what we have. Oh, I'll pray for you. It's freezing. Oh, I'll pray for you. And we don't meet the need. We should be clothing those who are in need, spiritually and physically. It doesn't save us, but it does prove that we're saved. Number five, I was sick and you visited me. Visiting the sick is something that most churches have always traditionally done. Uh, you know, whenever uh, someone's sick, we try and get a meal train for them. We give them a call. So if they are open to it, we visit them in the hospitals, right? Visiting the sick, we kind of get that. That's a Christian thing. And it's important because it's scriptural and Jesus asks us to do it. Uh, visiting the sick, you know, is always a ministry in the church. They used to have ministry specially geared towards shut-ins. You know, back in the day when there was an internet and preachers and everything online and live stream and podcasts, people would get sick and couldn't come to church. And so pastoral staff would go visit the shut-ins. 
And that's a way of visiting the sick. How many have ever been sick before and somebody came to visit you and it just blessed you? Amen. I was in the hospital not too long ago and had all kinds of people visiting me and some of them sneaking in and some of them fooling the nurses at the stay. It was fun. And you know, everyone that comes is a blessing. And sure, you need to sleep and sure, you need to recuperate. But you know, as the body of Christ and as brothers and sisters, we need to rally around each other in those moments when we're in need when our bodies are sick, to, to know that someone's thinking of us, someone's praying for us, someone cares, amen. So whether it's shut-ins that the clergy have to visit or just people in the hospital, you know, for serious situations or, or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, we need to think about our brothers and sisters. We need to realize that these hospitals and these places, uh, you know, where they put people who are recuperating or even old folks' homes or whatever, these are mission fields. Yes. They're opportunities for us. You know, we can turn off the computer, turn off the TV, put our phones down, and go minister to somebody. There's so many opportunities out there. There's so many sick people that need visits. There's so many broken, lonely people that need someone to just care. Why should we visit sick people? Well, to minister and pray for them, of course. Listen to Mark 16, 18. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's hard to lay hands on them if you won't go be with them. I'm going to put the phone next to you. I'm going to lay my hand on the phone. Not really the same, right? As having somebody come and just, you know, and, and always at the hospital, Pastor Mike, right? When we're with people, we let, let, let's pray. Before we go, let's pray. And we pray and the, the Holy Ghost shows up and the atmosphere changes and the healing virtue of the Lord is poured out because God said, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. James 5, 14 and 15. Are there anyone among you sick? They must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It's powerful, amen? amen? James, New Testament, a promise to us. Resur resurrection power, amen? You say, well, I prayed for somebody and, and they didn't get better. Well, you know what I've learned over 40 years of being a Christian is that more people get healed when you pray for them than when you don't. Yeah. Amen? Not everyone I pray for gets healed. You know, we joke about it. Well, I prayed for you last time. Let's have this guy pray for you. This, You know, you know, sometimes we feel like, you know, I prayed and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. But the Bible doesn't tell us to expect which way to go. It tells us to pray for the sick. Amen. And, and God, you know, God heals in all different ways, but we've got to be faithful to visit the sick so we can minister to the sick and we can pray for the sick so that they can recover. Amen. Well, am I losing you? You wilting on me out there? No, I need a break too. Let's, no, I'm just kidding. Number six, the last good work of service here, we're going to look at, I was in prison and you came to me. Uh, many of us have visited people in prison, known people that went to prison. Maybe most of us have not been to prison. Um, I don't know with this crowd here, I didn't look around close, but most of us probably should have been in prison, but we didn't get caught. 
So Jesus is saying, I was in prison and you came to me. Prison ministry is a biblical ministry. Let me say that again. Oh, no, that's just, you know, the pastors do that, or there's special people who do that. Or, prison ministry is a biblical ministry, and it's for the church. Uh, Full Gospel Center has, over the years, had some very productive opportunities to do ministry. We used to go to the Highland Residential Center and minister to incarcerated boys. For years, we did that. There's Kairos, and some of you were involved with that, and, and there's prison fellowship ministry, and th there's been little uh, groups within the church who have done prison ministry. Ministry. I would love to see an opportunity for us to do prison ministry again on a regular basis. You know, the enemy has done everything he can to keep the churches out of the prisons. And, oh, we have staff, or we have hired this, and we have that, and they don't want to let you in, and it gets difficult. We were actually driven out of the residential home by a group of Muslims that took over and didn't want the Christians there anymore. So maybe we need to do some praying and maybe we need to knock on some doors, but prison ministry is a biblical ministry and it's something we should definitely think about doing. You know, we should not have an attitude towards those who are incarcerated as if they are throwaway people. You know, it's easy to get the attitude like, oh, well, you, well um, what am I going to inconvenience myself and go in there for? You shouldn't have done this, or you shouldn't have done that, or, you know, you, you raped, you murdered, you did all that stuff. You know, sit there and take your punishment. But God still loves them. And he is the one who will mete out punishment. It's our job to preach the gospel so that they don't have to go to prison for their sins and then hell for them. Right. Come on. Amen. Think about that. Some people get such a, 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 a bum deal in life. They grow up abused. They grow up physically, sexually, mentally abused. They, they do it to someone else. They wind up incarcerated for life. They get angry. They get hardened. They refuse Jesus and then go to hell for eternity. I don't think it gets any sadder than that. You say, Pastor, you're making me uncomfortable. Good. Maybe we need to get just a little uncomfortable because there's a world that's depending on us. So God opened the doors for Full Gospel Center to visit the incarcerated. We shouldn't have attitudes toward them. We should have the attitude, there go I, but for the grace of God. Because you can live a good life and have one bad moment and just totally shatter there's people sitting in jail for life now who just, they, they snapped one time. And if you don't think you're capable of it, we all are. So Jesus said, I was in prison and you came to me. Hebrews 13, three says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are badly treated since you yourselves also are in the body. So Paul is saying, remember those in prison, remember especially those who are persecuted. Do you realize all throughout the world, there are Christians who are in prison in persecution and they didn't commit a crime other than uh, their allegiance to Jesus. In Muslim-majority countries, you go to jail, you could be executed for, for converting to Christianity. In China, they'll throw you in jail because they want their, your allegiance to the state and nothing to do with God. So understand, you know, while we think of people in prison are just criminals that got caught, you know, sometimes people are in prison because they're persecuted, and uh, we need to really be praying for our brothers and sisters, the persecuted church, Amen. 
We've taken up offerings and collections here for uh, the persecuted church for the voice of the martyrs, and we've sent it to help people in other countries, and that's a good opportunity for us to fulfill here what Jesus is saying. We should visit those who are in jail. It doesn't save us, but it proves that we're saved. Verse 37 through 40 is Jesus' answer to the sheep who are confused about what they did uh, when they did all this stuff for him. They're like, Jesus, when did we see you? And when, when, when do we do this? Now, Jesus' response makes Christian works of service a universal thing. Listen to what he says. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. See, they didn't come to Jesus. He never was in some of those situations and they didn't have opportunity, but he counted what they did as if they did it unto him because these Christian works of service are universal. And all of us should be looking for opportunities to do them. Please notice two things about Jesus' answer here in verse 40. First, he says, the least of these. Say that with me. The least of these. The least are people who have nothing to offer us in return for the service we're giving to them. See, you know what really shows a person's character? When they do something for somebody that can't do anything for them in return. That's what really shows good character. Well, I'm not doing that for him. I'm not doing it for that guy. That, that guy's this or that guy's that or they're poor. They, you know, I'll scratch their back, but they can't scratch my back. Come on, that's the way the world thinks. Selfish, self-centered, users, opportunists. That's not for the believer. You and I lend to the poor, give to the poor, serve, feed the hungry, bring drink to the thirsty. We do all of these things and we don't expect or demand anything in return. We're not looking for payback and interest and now it's your turn and you owe me. The Lord rewards us for these things, amen. So he says, do it for the least of these. And you know, for a lot of us, this is not a problem at all. We, we were raised right, we're godly, we've been walking with the Holy Spirit long enough to not be self-centered like this, but just realize the flesh doesn't wanna serve sometimes unless there's something in it for us. So we've gotta do it to the least of these. Then the second part of Jesus' answer, he says, the least of these, my brethren... Anybody ever look at that and wonder, what, what, what's he talking about? His brothers and sisters, Mary's other kids, my brethren. You know, he's talking about Christians. Well, if you dig into that, and I, I looked at it carefully, and I've listened to what scholars have said, but there's an implication there that, yes, we, we especially need to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you with me? We definitely need to support ministries and missionaries and evangelism. And we also need to care about the Jewish people. See, a Christian that doesn't care about the Jewish people, I question their salvation. Because Jesus said, we have a love for the brethren. And who were Jesus' brethren? My brethren, they were the Jews. Who did Paul preach to before he went to the Gentiles? The Jews. What did Paul say about them? They are my brethren. Jesus called the Jews my brethren. Then he says, when you do it unto the least of these, my brethren. 
All the time we see on the TV the Jewish people being persecuted, the Jewish people being hungry. How many have seen the commercials? They have no food. They're they're persecuted. It's an opportunity for the church to serve the Jews. You're quiet. See, we've got to care about a lot more than just ourselves. And this dialogue here that Jesus pours out puts a demand on us that we can't just collect all of what we earn and heap it upon ourselves and pour it into our pleasures and forget about the world around us that is thirsty and hungry and in need of clothing and naked. I mean, and, and, and the Christians and the missionaries and the evangelists and the Jewish people. Wow, to be a Christian, you gotta care about a lot of stuff. Yeah, because we've been blessed with such amazing grace that we didn't deserve that now in return with thankful hearts, we need to do it unto the least of these, those who can't pay us back. And we need to think about the Christian workers and the Christian servants and the Jewish people and the hurting and the broken and the hungry. And all of those things need to be on our radar. Amen. You know, serving the least of these and serving the persecuted Christians and Jews doesn't save us, but it does prove that we're saved. Verse 41 through 46, Jesus has the same kind of dialogue with the goats. Remember, there were the sheep and the goats. Where are my goats tonight? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I wanted to see if anyone raised their hand. So he has this conversation with the sheep, and he basically tells them, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me, and here's your reward coming to heaven with me for eternity in my presence. Wonderful. 41 through 46, he has this same dialogue with the goats, and he basically, you know, they say, when did we see you, and and when were you in prison, and when when did we not do it to you? And there again, he's like, when you didn't do it to the least of these. A religious goat only does acts of service when other people are there to look. The Pharisees and the Sadducees loved to be in the view of men. And they would puff up their phylacteries and they would make a big show and they would sound trumpets and they would give and make sure all the coins spilled into the coffers nice and loud. But when nobody was looking, they could care less. They were morally rotten and their rottenness would show. And so Jesus is saying to the goats, you didn't do it to the least. You, you didn't do it to the downtrodden. You didn't do it to my brethren. You persecuted the righteous. You persecuted the, the, the missionaries. You persecuted the evangelists. You persecuted the Jews. And their judgment is staggering what he says to them. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Ouch. But the righteous into eternal life. So there it is. The destiny of the sheep, eternal life. The destiny of the goats, eternal punishment. What's the difference between the two? A relationship with Jesus Christ. None of these works of service save us but they prove that we're saved. Let's bow our heads tonight. 
Father, I just thank you for your scripture that you give us. I thank you for these words that challenge us. And Father, if we get anxious in our flesh that we think, well, we gotta step up our works, Lord, let us have enough wisdom not to do that, but to just pray and seek you for the opportunity to serve people, to love people, to, to give spiritual drink to the thirsty and spiritual food to the lost. Father, help us to meet the basic needs of those within our reach that we can meet. Help us to be generous with the abundance that you give us and not to be selfish. We know none of these things save us, but God, let the proofs of our salvation be evident so that they would point to you in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.